Today's reading is from Hebrews 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted. As we are yet without sin, let us then um, with confidence draw near the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. May God bless the reading of the word. You may be seated. Awesome. Well done, Price. Proud of you, buddy. Uh, so we're in Hebrews, and this is about the fourth week in, and uh, I'm preaching about half the sermons, and then Andrew and a couple other friends are going to be preaching uh, the other half. And uh, I'm really excited about today, because today is an opportunity for us to look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 5, verse 10. So if you have a Bible, great. If not, you can look it up on your phone, and then some of the passages will be on the screen. And we're actually going to be approaching this passage by looking first at the first 10 verses of chapter 5, and then we'll end with that verse 14, 15, and 16, which is what Price uh, so beautifully read. So last weekend I wasn't here. I was in New York City. Raise your hand if you've been to New York City. Yeah, it was amazing. We went there. Uh, We go big for each of our kids' 13th birthday. And uh, so we went big with Keaton, our daughter, who just turned 13 yesterday. We celebrated last weekend. We're in New York City. And I've been there quite a few times for work and for other reasons. And, uh, you know, Times Square is something you have to experience, right? I mean, it's exciting and it's fun and it's crazy and all that. Uh, That's not my favorite part. My favorite part actually happened on this last trip. We went on a food tour. Raise your hand if you've ever done a food tour in New York City. Raise your hand if you like food. Oh, come on. I need a witness up in here. All right. So we did this food tour in the East Village. And when I was first told about it, it was one of those I was going to take it for the team. Like, we're going to walk for three hours to eat. Like, typically, I just walk to one location, eat, and I'm done with it, you know. Um, But uh, no three-hour tour. And yeah, there's your joke, Gilligan's Island. Um, And so our host was named Robin. And and her responsibility on this three-hour tour was to take us to eight different stops, Now, these eight different stops were in an area of the East Village that uh, were mostly uh, um, by Italians. So most of the food we ate had something to do with Italian types of food, okay? So we 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 had all these amazing things. And I was thinking about this, and her job, Robin's job, was to bring us into the presence of great food. And it was. It was spiritual. One of the places we went to was this pizza place named Joe's, Joe's Pizza. It's a very famous pizza place uh, in New York City. And here we are outside waiting, and then she brings out this large pizza, and uh, you'll see each of us get a slice. And I timed it just right. I waited to the end, taking the last slice, and there happened to be two. And everybody else was like, how'd you get two? How'd you get two? It's like, you know, the last will be first and the first will be last. That's what it says in the Bible. And we also went to this other place uh, that's very well known called Fiacos. I didn't say that right. Sorry for the Italians in the room. Uh, it's a very famous place. They own this whole building, a big part of this village. And we had these little thing called rice balls. Uh, and there's another name for them. But there's mine. And then there's Keaton. She'll be embarrassed. She's not in here to know that I'm showing that picture of her. But Robin's job was to take us and connect us to something glorious. Today, we celebrate this amazing, mysterious opportunity to enter into the presence of God who is glorious. And there are people in all of our lives that help us get there, right? 
There are people in all of our lives that usher us in, that invite us in, that point us to God, and so we can experience that. And here's, here's something I want you to think about. People who wander can be led into the presence of God for deep, satisfying connection. So in the Old Testament of the Bible, God provided priests. Everybody say priests. God provided priests to help people connect with God. Now, if you have a background where your tradition of church has someone now named a priest, it would be similar but a little bit different than the definition in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, God provided these priests to help people connect with God, and their role was very important, which I'll describe a little bit later. But what the author of Hebrews is going to do is basically describe the role of the priest as according to the Old Testament, and then he's going to say that Jesus is a greater high priest. So we'll get there, but let me ask you this. Who in your life helps you connect with God? That was a role of the priest. But who in your life helps you connect with God? Kind of like a priest. Or or here's another question. Who are you helping connect with God? This is how it works. There are people in our life that help us connect with God, and then there are people in our life in whose life we help them connect with God. That's the way it's supposed to be. And what I do know is that every one of you wants a connection with God. Every person seeks God. Whether or not they realize that that's what they're doing in their behavior and their choices, every person seeks a connection with God. There's this uh, fairly well-known Muslim poet named Rumi who has this phrase that I've seen quite often. I think it kind of captures today's cultural mindset. It says, what you seek is seeking you, is what he said. What you seek is seeking you. Now, Rumi, this Muslim poet, did not have in mind all the ways in which it's been described or defined today. Like today, people would say, well, if what I seek is a wife, then they're seeking me. Or what if I seek money, then it's seeking me. And that's not what he had in mind. And the Christian understanding of God is very different, particularly in the doctrine of grace, than the Muslim understanding of God. But what he is saying is actually true. What you seek is seeking you, and what I want you to know is that you seek God, and God is seeking you. That, that ought to move our hearts this morning to know that like right here in this place, in this time, not only is there a part of you that wants a connection with God, but God wants you to be connected to him enough that he's making his presence known to you. Now, the Christian faith teaches, the Bible reveals, that the way we find God is through Jesus Christ. Now, I know that not every person in here has crossed over the line of faith, and, and I feel like it's such a, such a sacred, important thing to just acknowledge that there are some of you in here that are coming each week, and I know personally and love, and some of you are coming. I don't know it that well, but I know that you've not yet crossed over the line of faith, and it's a pretty cool thing that you're here. I think it shows a lot of courage and interest, and I'm grateful that even though you're not a follower of Christ, that you're here kind of exploring the claims of Christianity. And and what I know to be true is that there's really only two reasons people reject the Christian gospel. Two reasons. One, they have had a bad experience with somebody who claimed to be Christian. Their feelings have been hurt. And number two, the second reason that a person would reject the Christian gospel is because they think it's unreasonable or unintelligent to believe it. So for the first group, those that have been hurt, I just want to say I'm sorry, you know. That's a really heartbreaking reality that exists in the world and that Christians have to deal with is that there are some Christians that intentionally and unintentionally hurt other people. And 
you know, I'm sorry. And, and, I, and I cannot, and I would never promise that, that this would be a church where you would not have Christians unintentionally, or maybe even sometimes intentionally, do something that would hurt your feelings. But what I can promise, and we'll see this later in the passage, is that God knows your trouble. God knows where you're hurting. God knows where you're discouraged because of the way some Christian has portrayed Christ. For the second group, those of you that think it's unintelligent or unreasonable to believe in the Christian gospel, you probably are more intelligent than some people in this church. But it's unlikely that you're more intelligent than everyone who believes. So I just want to ask you to consider the possibility that you do not have all the information you need at this point to reject the Christian gospel forever. So I want to ask all of you to open your heart in your search for God to consider that Jesus is that special revelation of God. And through Christ, we connect with the Father. Every person is seeking God. And the Bible teaches that God is seeking you. But we're separated from God because of sin. God is holy, we are not. So in the Old Testament, God installed uh, a system called the sacrificial system. Now, the sacrificial system was conducted by the priests. This is very important where we're going today. It was conducted by the priests. So the sacrificial system involved the sacrifice and the burning, and there were different kinds of sacrifices, some animal, some not animal, like grains and other things. And the sacrificial system was God's way of there being a price paid for the sins of the people so that their sins could be covered long enough so that God could dwell in their presence, okay? So that the role of the priest was to conduct this ceremony so that God could dwell among the people. Very important, the role of the priest. Very important, critically important. Without the priest, God's presence would not be able to dwell among the people. Why? Because of sin. So the priest does this ceremony that helps cover up sin. Sometimes it's shed blood. Sometimes it's grains and other things that are burnt as an offering to the Lord. And all of this has its origin in Exodus chapter 28 and 29. So I just want to quickly read this passage, part of this passage, where the very first priests are installed. Okay? So Exodus chapter 29, verse 44, it says, I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. So the writer is writing on behalf of God. Okay, so Aaron is one of the first priests, first high priest. Verse 45, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. Now this is huge. This is huge. In the Old Testament, before the Holy Spirit was given to everyone who believed, God's presence would only dwell on certain people at certain times, and it had to be this really uh, calculated scenario where the sin of that person on behalf of that people was covered up. Because God is holy, he's not going to be able to go into the presence of people that are not without some kind of sacrifice. So it says in verse 45, I will dwell among the people of Israel and be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So this is after the Exodus. You know, they were enslaved for 400 years, and then Moses leads them out into the promised land. God has given them these rules so that they can have a special connection with him through this sacrifice, sacrificial system. All right, so fast forward to the book of Hebrews. You all still with me? Thank you, three of you. That feels good. All right, so author of Hebrews. So get back to the New Testament where the author of Hebrews is now talking about priests. Okay, so why would he be talking about priests? Well, he says, okay, let me give you something about the priests. In chapter 5, verse 1, he says, they are chosen and called from among people. And what he's about to do is compare the earthly priests, the priests of the Old Testament, 
from, he's comparing them to Jesus, the great high priest. And essentially what he's going to say is that Jesus is the greater high priest. And there's a couple of reasons why. Because, and the reason that all this is so important is because the people that he was writing to were struggling. And what do we do when we're struggling? We tend to drift back to our old ways, right? We tend to drift back to our old patterns. And this is exactly what those Jewish Christians were doing. They were suffering because of their Christian faith. And so rather than beholding Jesus and believing in Jesus as greater than the angels or greater than the priests, greater than anything else, what they begin to do is slip back into that old way. And they begin to think, well, maybe we need to go to the old way, the old sacrificial system. Maybe we need to look to the earthly priests rather than looking to Jesus as the high priest. We all do this when we struggle we tend to drift. We tend to go back to the old ways, those old patterns. Some of you are there now. You go, I can't believe that I have gone back to behaving in this kind of way when I thought I would never do it again. I got out of that. But here you are. You say, what do I do? And I would say, behold Jesus, which is what we're about to do. So every high priest is chosen from among men. As I mentioned, Aaron is one of those. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, every high priest is appointed to act on behalf of men in relationship to God. So it's a very important role, that, that role of the person that it connects people with God. They offer gifts and sacrifices, as I mentioned. And then look in verse, chapter 5, verse 2. He, the high priest, can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. Raise your hand if you're ignorant. And you're wayward. Come on. Come on. I'm there. Since he himself is beset with weakness, because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. So what the author of Hebrews is pointing out is that, okay, the priest is ministering to the people, people of all different kinds. He knows how to minister to them because he himself is weak. And he offers sacrifices for them. In fact, not just for their sins, but he offers sacrifices for his own sins. These priests are provided by God to help people connect with God. But then the real point here is that Jesus is a great high priest, greater for a couple of reasons. Look at chapter 5, verse 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you, as he says also in another place. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus, as the great high priest, was chosen and called also. But he was not called from among men. He was called from, in this order, called the Melchizedekian priestly order. Now, this is one of the more confusing, complicated kind of things in the New Testament. And there's another section where the author of Hebrews talks about Melchizedek. And someone else is preaching it, so I'm going to let them explain it to you here in a couple weeks. But what you need to know is that this priesthood is perfect. Jesus is called, and he's chosen from a perfect priesthood. And like other priests, Jesus acts on behalf of people. Look at verse 7. He offers up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who is able to save from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Again, he's doing something on behalf of the people. And he also, just like the earthly priest, offers gifts and sacrifices for sin. Here's the difference. He did not just offer animal sacrifices for sin. He became the sacrifice for the sin. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Look there in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who believe him. 
So when these readers, and for us, we're struggling, we're drifting back to our old ways, and you go, okay, is this old way greater than Jesus? And what he's saying is, no, no, the old way has earthly priests who are weak and are having to make sacrifices for themselves because they are also sinners. And then there's Jesus who obeys God and became the sacrifice, which counts because he never sinned. Jesus is greater than that thing that you're drifting to. Jesus is greater. These people want to connect with God just like you do and just like I do. We want to connect with God. And the question is, how are we going to connect with the Father? And what the author of Hebrews is saying is like, you, you could choose to go through some other earthly way. But here's the way to connect with the Father. Jesus, who is greater. He's the great high priest. Don't go back to that old way. Now let's back up to chapter 4, verses 14 and 16. And his, this, all that gives us a little, bit of, a little bit of power for these two points. You see, we see that Jesus is transcendent and Jesus is tender. This is something that um, I've said here before many times is, is that people can appreciate Jesus as a good moral teacher, but a very like, normal reading of the New Testament, particularly the book of Hebrews, would say that Jesus is more than a human he is fully God and fully man. So we behold Jesus. We look to Jesus. We rely on Jesus, be, not just because, hey, he's got some good things to say. And, oh, wow, it sure is neat how he treats the marginalized and the women and the children and how he heals people. And, and No, we look to Jesus because Jesus is the great high priest who has passed through the heavens. He's transcendent. That encourages us. So when you're drifting the author of Hebrews would say to those Jewish Christians who are struggling, being persecuted because of their faith. When you're drifting, just remember, hold fast to your confession because Jesus is greater. You need to be reminded of that. He says, let hold us hold fast to our confession. Do not let it slip away. That this language of do not let it slip away would be kind of like if your, if your wedding ring was on your finger and your finger got kind of sweaty because of some s- sweat. Um, and, 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 and it started to slowly slip away, right? And you felt it slowly, slowly slip away. Like, don't let that happen. Do not let that happen. Because it means something. It represents something. Let us hold fast to our confession that Jesus is Lord. And when you're tempted to let it slip away, do not let it. Jesus is transcendent, and he's also tender, Here's the thing about Jesus. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize, the author of Hebrews says. Remember, he suffered. He was tempted, yet he did not sin. So let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. You can do that this morning. You can with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. You can say, hey, I've been slipping. Some of you would say that. You say, hey, I'm slipping. You know, if you're walking on an icy sidewalk, and you started slipping, what do you automatically do? You reach out to try to grab something to keep you from falling down, right? So if you're slipping in your faith, you can reach out and grab a hold of Jesus, the great high priest. And he knows your weakness. He knows your struggle. He knows your uh, difficulty. He knows your suffering. He knows how you've been hurt by other Christians. He knows you And consider what he has done so that you can reach out and grab a hold of him. Don't slip away. All of us go into seasons where we feel like we're losing faith. All of us do. I do. You do. All of us go into seasons where 
Jesus and the kind of what we behold as Jesus looking like and, and that relationship is like the most important thing in our life. And then sometimes it just feels like it's a million miles away. What I'm saying to you is if you are sleep slipping, do not slip. Reach out and grab a hold of Jesus. The worst place you can be is to be far from God and need him and feel like you cannot reach out and grab him. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. This morning before the service, I met with a few other people here that care about you and care about this church. We prayed, and we prayed and went with confidence to God and said, God, we need your grace. We need your undeserved favor today in our own hearts and in the hearts of the lives of our people and in our city. You say, I'm slipping. Reach out. You may be saying, I'm suffering. And sometimes we suffer because of our own dumb choices. Sometimes we suffer because of other choices, other people's choices. And sometimes we suffer because life just is difficult at times, right? Jesus knows. He suffered. He was tempted as you are. He did not sin. You maybe are suffering because you gave in to the temptation of sin. But he does know. He experienced trials just as you have. And here's the thing. Whenever you're tempted or you're suffering and you're tempted to walk away from Jesus, to go back to the old way, and you obey, you know what happens? You're made stronger. You're made perfect by your obedience in the midst of suffering. Verse 16 again, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in the help in the time of need. Is that you? Or maybe, maybe you would say, I am skeptical. You say, I'm skeptical. I talk to people every week that would say this, and I love these conversations. And, you know, Christians, by the way, we, we, ought, we have got to learn how to love people who don't think like we do and just really genuinely be able to love them in the midst of their skepticism and not be angry at them. You, you know, as you get older, as I've gotten older, what I realize is I'm the most healthy when I can love people who are different than me without becoming like them and also without learning to hate them. And so you need to be in, the relation, in relationships with people that are very skeptical of your Christian faith. It'll help you think through your Christian faith. For those of you that are here that are skeptical, I, I just want to put before you the possibility that your faith system is not more reasonable or intelligent than faith in Jesus Christ. And, and you might say to me, I don't have a faith, I don't have faith in a system which would mean that you trust in your own human brain. And what I would say to you is that it requires faith to believe that you have enough information to be your own God. Because that's essentially what you're doing. If you reject the Christian gospel, you're essentially saying, instead, I will choose to be my own God. Which means that you have faith in your brain enough that you believe that you have more information, that you have enough information to make a decision to be your own God that's different than what faith in the Christian gospel would mean. And I would say to you, like, whatever system you choose, if it's faith in your own brain or faith in the Christian gospel, it requires faith. It requires taking a step in a direction. And of course, we would say that the Christian gospel reveals Jesus as a special revelation of who God is, and we have faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Because we want to stand before a holy God and be connected to God, which is enabled by Jesus Christ. I plead with you, those of you that are skeptical, to believe in Jesus as the great high priest so that you can have your sins forgiven and you can connect with God. 
So I started out by saying, who helps you connect with God? And the answer to that is anyone whose life looks a lot like Jesus. Because Jesus is God's plan for connection with people. Who helps you connect with God? And those people that live lives that are shaped and transformed to look more and more like Jesus, you know what is different about them maybe? It's not that they're perfect. It's not that their lives are all set up easy. It's that they've learned over time to with confidence approach the throne of grace like Jesus says is possible. So who in your life helps you connect with God. The author of Hebrews would say, it is Jesus, the great high priest, that helps us connect with God. So who in your life looks like Christ? And in whose life are you in where you're helping them connect with God? So as we begin to draw this to a close, I just want to call you to action in a few things. For those of you who have never crossed over the line of faith, I would just beg you, plead with you, ask you to consider that Jesus is the great high priest. Through Jesus, you can have a connection with God. Will you figure it all out right away? No, it takes time. That's one purpose of having the Bible and reading it and getting to know what God's word says about who Jesus is and who we are. And it's another part of what it means to be in a church is that we together get to struggle. We get to think, we get to laugh, we get to enjoy all these things. We get to do this together as we behold who Jesus is and connect with God Almighty. So cross over the line of faith. For those of you that are already crossed over the line of faith and you're believers, who is the priest in your life? Think about that person. Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's your group leader, which is the small group system we have here. Here's what I want you to do. Here's a call to action. I want you to write them a note thanking them and encouraging them. I want you to write them a note thanking them and encouraging them. And if that's that person, when you think, who's that priest in your life, you think of me, I want you to write me a note, thank me, and put a $100 bill in there. <laughs> Just kidding. No, I really actually prefer you think about the other people in your life. You know, who are the people that help you connect with God? Maybe it's your spouse. You know, Jeannie's not in here. She's working with the kids. But she, I have learned more about a gracious, what, what it's like to connect with a gracious Heavenly Father through my, in my relationship with my wife and her grace and mercy to me in my dumbest moments. Like She is like a priest to me because her life looks more and more like Jesus. So who is that priest in your life? Write them a note and thank them. Or if you choose not to do that, at the very least, say a prayer to God, thanking God for them in your life. And also, think about in whose life are you a priest? So if you're a parent and you claim Christ, you play the role of a priest. Like you, you're one that helps your children connect with the Father. And the best way to do that is for your life to look more and more like Christ. And then when they notice it, you say, this is what Jesus would do. This is what Jesus it looks like. And so that helps them to see God. So in whose life are you a priest? 
So you have your kids, those of you that have children, not many of you do, not all of you do. But all of you have somebody in your life that you have a responsibility to connect them with God. Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a neighbor. For some of those people in your life, they're the best picture of Jesus that they'll ever see in their entire lives. So what I would say to you is take advantage of that. Like, like be that. Like do your best to serve them and love them and care for them and help point them to God. Or, or maybe there's some real tangible way you can be generous to them, representing the generous love of God through Christ to them. So we have this person in our life that helps us connect or see Jesus more clearly and therefore connect with God. And then there's always people in our life who look to us to help them connect with God. I want you to do something as a call to action for both of those groups. The first one being write them a thank you note, say a prayer for them, of course. And the second one is to find a tangible way of, of helping the people that look to you see Jesus more clearly. And it may be very simply like, hey, we're going to be a little more committed to, to coming to church. We're going to go to church more often. Or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's a, we're going to weekly in the evening, we're going to take time over dinner and we're going to read a passage of scripture together. Or, or, or maybe it's we as a family are going to go serve somewhere together. One of the things that we do in the summer as a family is in, in one of our kind of out of town times is we serve as a family together in a different city, not related to my job as a pastor, but just because we're Christians. And it's an opportunity for my wife and I to show our kids what it's like to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And that's been a really powerful thing in our home. And I, I just kind of stumbled into the idea. I'm not that smart to have come up with it. And, uh, and I would suggest to you that there are ways that those that you lead can see Jesus more clearly by things that you actually do. So do it. Jesus is the great high priest. When you're struggling, when you're skeptical, when you're slipping, you want, to, you want to drift towards these old ways or different ways. But the author of Hebrews is saying that the great high priest is Jesus. Behold him. Approach that throne of grace when you're slipping, when you're struggling, and when you're skeptical. I pray that we all will do this in increasing measure. Let's think on and pray about these things. All right? Bow your head together with me if you would. Just right there where you are, just take a minute. Who is the person in your life that helps you connect with God? That person helps you more clearly see Jesus. How will you encourage them? Is it a note, maybe a word of thanks? Certainly pray for them. And then in whose life are you a priest? The church is described in one passage in the New Testament as a priesthood of believers. The the believers are a group of priests. That's what we're saying here. How will you help that person or those people more clearly see Jesus? I'm going to pray and then I'm going to, after I'm done praying, I'm going to tell you how we're going to respond here. God, we love you. And 
And God, I just am so grateful for these moments, these 25 minutes that we've had, or I've had to just try to point people to the truth of the Bible. The truth that says that Jesus is the great high priest. Jesus is the way we connect with you. So God, I pray, knowing that, that, uh, that belief in that would only be a gift of your Holy Spirit to these dear men and women and children. So God, help us to be mindful of those that are in our life that we serve as priests to, our kids, those that are younger in the faith, maybe our neighbors that are unchurched or our co-workers that are searching. I pray, God, that we would be so often approaching that throne of grace so that over time we would look more and more like Christ and more able to help people see Jesus for who he is so that they also would know that they can approach that throne of grace. And God, thank you for the priests in our life, those that help us connect with you. I can think of so many. Some of them are in this very room. I pray, God, that we'd be mindful of ways to help them. I mean, to, help, to encourage them, God. And Lord, for those that do not believe, I pray that you would give them belief. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.